greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
to the Hogan Era Podcast. I am your host, JP uh, John Paz, here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting feed, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. Each and every week here on the Hogan Era Podcast, we are talking about the greatest era ever in the history of the business, 1984 to 1993 in the WWF. Some call it the golden era, but of course, it is the Hogan Era each and every week here on the show, we're talking about some of the greatest moments and feuds ever in the history of not only the Hogan era, but really ever in the history of the business, as we'll break down some Hogan feuds with Macho Man Randy Savage, with the late great King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant, the rowdy one himself, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and somebody we're going to be talking about today, none other than the bar. Barian, yes, one half of the Powers of Pain, also an infamous member of the Heenan family, who had a brief little feud with the Hulkster that we're going to get into, of course. But uh, I think a lot more, you know, big time matches with the Hulkster or was involved in more big time matches with the Hulkster than I think maybe people uh, have realized. Maybe people have overlooked, but got to obviously mention Barbarian. And then next week, we'll probably be talking about the Warlord as well. But that's a different story for a different day because the Warlord, there's a little bit more um, of a backstory of, of an interesting few that was supposed to be that never was with the Hulkster, although they did have a few. Well, we'll get into that next week, of course, uh, as far as the Warlord, but with the Barbarian here. If you think about Barbarian, just what you know, legendary, legendary wrestler, legendary tough guy as well. When you talk about some of the toughest guys ever in the history of business a few weeks ago, we talked about Haku. And guess who Haku says is tougher than him? No, no, the Barbarian. So pretty, pretty high standard. I mean, a pretty good uh, resume builder right there. If the toughest guy ever in the history of the business is like, well, if you think I'm tough, I think the Barbarian was tougher than me. So, I mean, that just goes a very, very long way to me anyway. And then I remember hearing stories about the Steiner brothers and them in different shoot interviews and interviews and stuff saying how tough Barbarian and Haku was, and of course, Dr. Tom, who I do a show with uh, each and every week, Take You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard, he was telling me that Barbarian sometimes, just for fun, would go to the bars and, and kind of just try to, you know, scare people, not really intimidate, but just scare people and obviously keep kayfabe and keep the gimmick alive, and he would chew glass. Chew glass, spit it up, and, and or chew it up and spit it out. I was like, oh man, oh, thinking about that just... uh is, is gross in and of itself, but it's just crazy that he can actually do it. Just shows you the toughness and shows you the level of kayfabe some guys are definitely willing to keep. So early career for the Barbarian, obviously, you know, he, he started out on the indie scene or the territory scene, if you will, working in many of the regional territories, but really making his debut around 1980, trained by the legendary Red Bastine, when he makes his way to Jim Crockett Promotions, he's you know basically going to be Conga the Barbarian, or the, or eventually the Barbarian, and he's going to be part of Paul Jones's army, and he's going to be doing a big time heel gimmick, and he's going to be with Baron Von Roschke and Pistol Pez Watley. And if you remember Starcade, Watley and Barbarian lost to then Babyface Roschke and Hector Guerrero, but. That is a uh, different story. Like I spent it for a different day. That's, of course, Stark 86, by the way. Then, of course, he would be teamed up with the Russians and Ivan Koloff, then paired with the Warlord to create the Powers of Pain. But really, of course, there's the Hogan era. We're talking about the WF, that is JCP and the NWA. 
when the powers of pain started in 87, when it's 88, all of a sudden they become free agents. And then the WWF comes a knocking and comes a calling and they bring them in as a powers of pain in 1988. They really were there as fan favorites initially. And, and they were really just awesome theme song, awesome baby faces. They look mean as hell. They were just gigantic guys, but also they very much rivaled the road warriors and they very much rivaled demolition and look i know if you think about the movie the road warrior and you look at the great series of movies with uh, mel gibson about mad max there's all these different looks of of let's just say like the the villains or some of the characters in in road warrior and i know that uh wes is more of the the world warriors type and barbarian and warlord is kind of mixed between that and even a Lord Humongous character, which is more of what Demolition was. So if you're just thinking about it, okay, Powers of Pain definitely have a Road Warrior vibe to it. They feuded with the Road Warriors, hell, in the NWA, and they made a big deal about how they were kind of Road Warriors light, but, you know, they were going to be the, the young guns to kind of take them out. So here in the WWF, they're going to come in, they're going to take out, and they're going to feud with Demolition. So if you think about it, what is, is like what is like the real money maker is the demolition is heels and ba- and powers of pain is baby faces sure maybe but powers of pain at this point i wouldn't say greener i think it's obviously barbarian have been wrestling for eight years but they weren't quite as established demolition were very established and axe and smash were an awesome tag team and you almost got the feeling that the crowd wanted a root for them a bit you almost you know felt like they were definitely having the uh, the crowd on their side. So what better way to kind of flip the script and switch it and then to do the infamous double turn at the Survivor Series. Just before I mention that, I just want to mention that their first match in the WWF was technically a match against Demolition. So really their first match was a tag team title match on June 18th, 1988, they beat Demolition by countout. So it just kind of shows you where they thought or what they thought of them and kind of what they wanted to do with them because they would have dark matches on Wrestling Challenge and Superstars and they would get the countout victories over Demolition there. So it was like they immediately saw something in them. They immediately liked them and they won a big house show run all through July where they're beating Demolition pretty much every week, excuse me, every night via dq so it was like they definitely sensed something definitely felt something but i don't know if they felt that they were getting as over maybe as they wanted them to or maybe were they as over as demolition was because you you know even as a fan you started to see them getting cheered a little bit and really starting to be in baby faces but powers of pain were still you know they were getting there they were new to wbf but they were still getting there they were getting over they were beating the bolsheviks boris zukov and nikolai volkov a lot of the nights on the house shows um, even Barbarian would enter the 1988 King of the Ring on 10-16-88, and he would lose to Ron Bass in the first round, but it was via DQ, so you know, no harm, no foul there. But, the, but besides that, the Powers of Pain as a tag team isn't losing that much. Even, like I said, even when they're going up against Demolition, they're really not losing much. I mean, they're winning by countout. They're, they're really kind of saving face, and they're really getting a bit of a push. And you got to like that about them, like because they have the look, they have something about them. Maybe they're a little young, or maybe they're not quite ready, but they had something about them, and you had to really like them. On 11 25 88, which was the day after Survivor Series, which I'll get to in a second, I just want to mention that Demolition finally get a victory over Warlord and Barbarian, but it's via DQ. 
Actually, I'm sorry. It's actually a double DQ, so they don't get the win. And then the next three or four house shows in a row is all double DQs. Then finally, on 1248, Powers of Pain defeat them again by DQ. All these are WWF tag team title matches. They haven't been able to get that elusive victory over Powers of Pain until 121788 in Oakland, California, when they win by DQ. So it's like, wow, they're really keeping them very, very strong. And like I mentioned, 11 24, 1980 Survivor Series 88, Richfield Coliseum, Richfield, Ohio, the big 10 team elimination tag match. Awesome match. One of my favorite matches. We love this match. Love this pay per view. Love this show. It's infamously known as the a double turn as baby faces at this time, Powers of Pain, turn heel, and team up with Mr. Fuji and the Demolition. Had Mr. Fuji turn on them and they turn baby faces. So now Powers of Pains are full fledged heels. They defeat the Conquistadors and they end up winning that match for the team. And they continue along with the feud with the demolition. They're having matches at MSG and Powers of Pain and winning by countout. They're having matches in Auburn Hills. They're having matches in Boston Garden. They're having on the Prism Network in Philly. They're all kind of double DQs or matches that are, are DQ wins for, or excuse me, cannot wins for the powers of pain. Really, not until January 30th of 89 do the demolition start getting some victories on some house shows, and that's usually all by DQ. And it's about seven or eight in a row. Like every night, they're basically winning on all these house shows. To 11-1989, Accent Smash defeated the Powers of Pain on the Prism Network in about 7 minutes, 30 seconds via countdown. So really, in essence, I mean, you're keeping both teams pretty damn strong as we're heading into WrestleMania five, where Demolition would defeat Mr. Fuji and the Powers of Pain in 8 minutes in a 2-on-3 handicap match, which was for the WBF world title. The Mega Powers exploded, but that was like a, a big-time major feud there. The only thing that killed it for me, I felt like Fuji didn't really need to be in the match. And I don't know, I feel like the, it hurt the match quality. It would have been a better match without it. Yes, I know they wanted to kind of keep um, Demolition looking super strong and having them get to get the win a two-on-three and make it look like, you know, they weren't going to get a victory, but... I don't know. I think I don't think it served a good purpose. I think it's just been a regular attack match, and just give demolition the victory in in that sense. There, no need to have have the handicap match involved. So with Barbarian, though, really he kind of separates from the Warlord, and they kind of put them, you know, in their own island, so to speak. Barbarian on four twenty two eighty nine would really not make a singles debut, but really would make his start of a singles run as he would defeat Jim the Anvil Nightheart on Nessen in the Boston Garden. So it's just an interesting thing that they're starting to see. All right, maybe we're going to separate them. Maybe we see something for both of these guys separately. Maybe have Barbarian kind of be his own guy, see what he's got. Then we'll have Warlord see what he's got. He'll be his own guy. If you listen to both guys, maybe both were promised some things and both not delivered. Both kind of had, I wouldn't say silly gimmicks, but, you know, they really, really over made him over the top. Like Barbarian's outfit was over the top. Obviously, Warlord's was as well. But speaking of Barbarian, he had the antlers on his head. It was um, it was pretty, pretty different, a pretty different um, of a look for sure. Um, 
from the Barbarian. So if we're really just talking about Hogan and the Hogan feud, go back to Royal Rumble 1989. That was really the first time that they were both in the same match together. And that was at the Summit in Houston, Texas, of course, won by Big John Studd. Then the next match they had together was Survivor Series 1989, 11-23-89 in the elimination, Rosemont Horizon in Rosemont, Illinois. The Hulkamaniacs, Axe Smash, Hulk Hogan, and Jake the Snake Roberts defeated the Million Dollar Team, Ted DiBiase, Warlord Barbarian, and Zeus. So yes, Barbarian was still, you know, in, in a tag match with the Powers of Pain, and they would still have a little mini feud with the Heart Foundation, which they ended up losing a bunch of matches. Barbarian would have a lot of singles matches during this run. He'd beat Jim Neidhart a bunch. He'd beat Coco Beware a bunch. But then, you know, he went back to teaming with um, Warlord and the, the Powers of Pain. If you go into the King of the Ring 1989, Jimmy Snuka defeated the Barbarian in the first round there in Providence, Rhode Island. That was, of course, 10-14-89. And then he would go back into his um, tag team run, if you will, where they would, would still have a bunch of matches with the demolition and the rockers. And again, the, the heart foundation. So, you know, he was still a tag guy, but it was funny. It was like, they almost, they were like testing the waters with his singles run. Cause he was a hell of a worker and a hell of a hand. So he had no problem as far as being able to do that. And I know, you know, they both said they were both promised maybe different things or they were both, told different things about maybe a few potential feud with Hogan who knows what's true and what's not true I could see Vince maybe promising that to to a few of the guys but it just seems like um you know like I, I don't know how far it was because Hogan had so much else going on he had savage at this point he, you know, he he's about to feud with Mr. Perfect for a while and then you got Warrior on the horizon. Then you got Earthquake. So it's a possibility, you know, maybe a house show feud or something. But I don't know if, if they were ever destined to have this big one-on-one run. But you could tell that they liked what they saw with Barbarian because they'll end up putting him um, eventually with Bobby the Brain Heenan. And he'll be a member of the Heenan family. But before I get to that, they were in 1990 Royal Rumble together, which, of course, was won by the Hulkster at the Orlando Arena in Orlando, Florida. Hulk Hogan and the Big Boss Man on 3 1990 at a house show in Miami, Florida, defeated the Powers of Pain. Great match there. 325-1990, Hulk Hogan and Bossman again defeated the Powers of Pain. Then 325-1990 in a different venue. So they were two shows one night. One was the um, intermission main event. One was the main event. Hershey, PA, where Hogan and Bossman win. Then they go to Philly, PA, and the Spectrum. And Hogan and Bossman defeat them again. Two in one night. Good stuff there. The next time Barbarian and the Hulkster will come into contact is a Survivor Series 1990. Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Hogan, Jim Duggan, the Big Bossman, and Tugboat defeated the Natural Disasters team of Dino Bravo, Earthquake, Haku, and the Barbarian in about 15 minutes. Then, of course, there's a 20-man battle royal on Saturday night's main event number 29, Omaha Civic Auditorium in Omaha, Nebraska. Mr. Perfect defeated everybody in the 20-man battle royal there, but I have to mention, of course, Hogan and the Barbarian were part of that. The next time Hogan and Barbarian really in a match together was Royal Rumble 1992, every man for himself, the Knickerbock Arena in Albany, New York. Rick Flair, of course, took home 
the gold in that one and wins the WWF World title. So not too many matches, really just tag matches and two big Survivor Series matches. And, of course, two big um Three big Royal Rumbles, of course, for Hogan and Barbarian. So not too much contact except for the Survivor Series matches, which were huge. I mean, he's basically in the main event, so to speak, of Survivor Series 89 and 90. And no, technically, they're both not the last matches, but Hogan's involved in the match. So it's almost like, to me, those are like main event level matches. And obviously, they thought a lot of Barbarian to be a part of those matches. Really, if you think about Barbarian and where he was at that point, Pretty good spot in the card, mid-card, upper mid-card, not doing too many jobs. He's not you know, looking too bad. He's a part of the Heenan family, like I mentioned. He's having a, a nice run. They put him and Haku together for a little bit. Obviously, he'd have some feuds, some matches against the big boss man. Him and Haku, by the way, would fight the Rockers at WrestleMania 7 in, in, a, in a damn good match. Very, very memorable match there. You, you gotta love that. With the teaming of those two, like I mentioned before, the they would be known in WCW, of course, as the face of fear. But it's like, wow, can you put two more, you know, like jacked up tough guys together? Whew. Imagine facing that team. That's just uh, great stuff there. Uh, just putting them together. I, I love that team. I, I love that tandem. Really, really great team. And I know, obviously, the, the Rockers was a, an absolute great match. Throughout most of 91, he's having matches with a ton of guys. It's just crazy. He actually, at one point, which is really crazy, I'd love to get my hands on this one, 2 91 the Legion of Doom in a house show in Dallas defeated Smash and the Barbarians. A really rare random tag team there. Usually don't see too much of that. Um, Barbarian had, a, like I mentioned, a little feud with the boss man. Who they had a ton of matches together. Jim Duggan. Bret Hart, again, Coco Beware, Jim Brunzel, on 12-28-1990 at a house show in Hershey, PA, and also on 12-27 in Auburn Hills, a very young Dustin Rhodes gets a couple matches and a couple losses to the Barbarian. They would continue that and have two shows in one night, one in Richfield, Ohio, and one in Rosemont, Illinois, on 12-29, where Dustin Rhodes again would lose twice to the barbarians so a lot of cool little ma- matches if you kind of just go through barbarians history it's a lot like weird ones like wow dustin pops up or wow he teams with smash so some good stuff there he was a good hand obviously a really good worker really strong in the ring mike skills not too much obviously and he wouldn't really need it because he's doing the whole tongan gimmick you know a lot of the the island boys wouldn't really necessarily talk and that's why he had a guy like bobby the brain heenan with him kind of do all his talking for him <clears throat> Excuse me. So, if we go to where do we want to go here, the British Bulldog, a nice little feud that he had with the Bulldog here. Obviously, um, he'll have a bunch of matches against Bret Hart where he'll take the loss. There's one on 6 3, 1991 from MSG where Bret Hart defeats Barbarian in about 12 minutes. It's pretty damn good. And it just shows you not, not only, obviously, how great Bret Hart is, but it shows you how good Barbarian is as well, where he can kind of hold his weight there so really it's towards the end of barbarians run in the wwf it was one of the things where it's like okay he's losing a lot but he is he is obviously a really really strong competitor he's making the other guys look good he's got a superstars match on 12 4 1991 where he loses to the macho man in austin texas 
him and Warlord, which is very, very random. I know really the last singles match that he has in 1991 is 12 31, 1991. He loses to Hercules and Nassau Coliseum. But here is such a random house show match in Boston, Mass. That these are the matches I live for. I love this stuff. So, him and the Warlord for one night only re- reassemble the team of the Powers of Pain and they lose to the new foundation of Owen Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Crazy stuff. We like never thought about that before. I didn't think about that. I was like, wow, that is odd. How, how strange is that? Of course, Royal Rumble 1992 happens. Then his last match was in Auburn Hills, Michigan, at a house show, and he loses to El Matador, Tito Santana in 1992. That would be his last match on, of the Hogan era. So that was really his last match of that run. And it seemed like in 1992, so many of those guys were leaving the WWF. They built the WWF in the late 80s and early 90s. By 1992, I know it's still technically early 90s, but as 92s rolling around, starting to get rid of Valentine and 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 Tino Bravo and and Warlord, and it just seems like uh, everybody is kind of headed out. It seems like they're cleaning the slate and starting a new roster, and it seems like they're just getting rid of everybody. But he does make his return as the Barbarian in 1994. He actually has a bunch of tag team matches with Dr. Tom Pritchard. I was surprised to read this, but they had a, a bit of a run there as a tag team um, for, for the whole month of June, and they lost all those matches a bunch in a row to the smoking guns. And he has a little mini feud with Tatanka and Lex Luger. He loses all those matches. And then they actually have him in September of 1984. I know it's out of the Hogan era, but just to kind of sum everything up, they have the head shrinkers and they changed Barbarian's name to Sioni and him and Fatu start a tag team. And they become pretty damn good actually, because they do eventually become you know like i wouldn't say a huge force or anything but they do become a pretty big part of the tag title scene because diesel and Shawn michaels are beating them and they're having championship matches and they're becoming part of championship tournaments they're in the 1994 survivor series elimination match and, and they they win that they're part of the winning team the bad guys the head shrinkers actually defeated jimmy m Neidhart and owen hart on superstars 11 29 1994 before really falling in the tournament to the Million Dollar Corporation, Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka. So they did have, uh, you know, a bit of a run there with Sione and Fatu, and they were title contenders and championship contenders and title tournament stuff, and they would end up losing eventually in 1995 as they were still teaming to Owen Hart and Yokozuna on a superstar taping as they are known as Camp Cornette. They had a bunch of losses to the Blue Brothers, Jacob Eli Blue, and his last official match in the WWF was in London, England, and it was on 6-22-1995 to Men on a Mission. So Moe and Mabel defeated Fatu and Sione there, and that's really Barbarian's last match in the WWF before really heading on to a long run and a good run and a nice run. In a WCW, of course, of first the Super Assassins, and then part of the Dungeon of Doom, and of course the Faces of Fear, and the first family, and then boom, he's gone. But man, what an absolute legend, what an icon, and I just wanted to bring him up. I know it was only a small feud with the Hulkster, but it was a good one, and it was a pretty damn legendary, legendary feud. Perhaps him and Warlord, the Powers of Pain, should have been WWF Tag Team Champions. But like I've said, that might be a different story for a different day. I think so for sure. 
but it was not in the cards. Really a small feud for the Hulkster, nothing major, but I just wanted to mention because they were in Royal Rumbles together and they were in big-time Survivor Series elimination matches together. So let's hit the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 2 Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. And, of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. See you right back here next week for a little Hogan era podcast. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother. very well be. Savage bagging a big barbarian back to the corner. What a competitor both individuals are. We had an occasion to speak with a little bit earlier on, ladies and gentlemen. The Undertaker. You can bet The Undertaker setting his sights for the Royal Rumble. 29 black horses backed up. 29 horses being loaded up after the Royal Rumble. And the belt will be around by Undertaker. Well, could very well be, but uh, then again, of course, the Undertaker and the Hawks are justifiably being allowed to draw from numbers 20 through 30 since they were the last reigning WWF champions. What do you mean, justifiably? There's no justice there. One week from this Wednesday night on January 29th, the WWF is coming back to Lowell, Massachusetts, and the Lowell Memorial Auditorium. Now, on the card, you're going to see such superstars as... Hercules, also Hacksaw Jim Duggan, in addition to The Undertaker, the Lowell Memorial Auditorium in Lowell, Mass., Wednesday night, January 29th, the WWF comes to town. I'll tell you what, McMahon, this kind of match right here before the Royal Rumble makes no sense to me. Either one of these guys, they should be saving themselves for the Royal Rumble to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. But then again, it really doesn't matter because Ric Flair is going to win it. I see. Barbarian on the outside. Barbarian going up now to the top rope. And he lands with.
getting set to make three under pounder now. Perched on the top rope. Barbarian taking his time. And the leap in. Oh, he missed it. He took too long, McMahon. He telegraphed the move. Savage playing possum on the canvas. The macho man all the way up to the top rope now. Oh, Savage getting his balance. Perfect position. The elbow finds a mark. One, two, and three. Wow. That's a big win there, McMahon. Oh, the macho man with Elizabeth by his side. With tremendous momentum. Heading into the Royal Rumble. The pay-per-view spectacular this Sunday afternoon. No matter how you look at it, McMahon, I still say Ric Flair's going to outsmart everybody, you know, because he's got his executive consultant at ringside. Of course. Well, of course. And I'm on what we're going to 